Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Penn. NASA is working towards a sustained human presence on the moon, which is presenting some interesting engineering challenges. One of the people working on the concepts and solutions for making that human presence a reality is Gonzalo Estevez, founder and CTO of Argo Space Technologies. Gonzalo, welcome to the Xterra podcast. Tom, <laughs> thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Tell us, first of all, about <clears throat> Argo Space Technologies and what it is that you do. Well, what I'm delivering is fast-paced solutions for people that are building things for space. And, and I mentioned building. I don't only mention design. So Argo Space Technologies is a combination of lean systems engineering, agile methods infused with, I believe it's the best knowledge out there regarding space. And I advise companies on how to execute their processes, how to increase the speed, of delivery while maintaining an extremely high standard. You know, we hear a lot about lean technologies and, and that whole lean concept. What does that mean? Oh, Tom, <laughs> if you go by the book, lean, it's a way to deliver with minimal waste to your customer. By the book, there are, there, there are five principles. Essentially what it means is when you when you walk into a place that is a lean place, you see things organized and flowing fast, sir, flowing really fast. And at the end, let's say that this was the first stage, okay? You see that the first stage meets expectations, meets the quality requirements. If you go a bit more into the next systems, if we're talking about the rocket, you'll see that the range officer will not stop the rocket, okay? That's a good thing. <laughs> Um, then I, I believe that what I've seen regarding the lean philosophy, it, it was not fast enough. Mm -hmm. That's that's a fairly good comment, and we moved more into the experimentation experimentation realm with methodologies such as agile and some variations on that. Now they are called Scrum, but to be fair, they were invented in the sixties. <laughs> mm -hmm. With uh, or at least many of the things were tried in the in the sixties, um, while the U.S. And, and even other countries, but mostly in the U.S. for the space community, was really making Apollo come alive. Gonzalo, you've you've said you want to make things faster, ready, and better. What do you mean by that? Yeah, if you go back to the literature on space, there was a time when NASA tried to do this. They would say, let's do faster. Um, they even said cheaper and better, but the, the combination of cheaper means probably cheap materials. And from first principles, cheap materials usually don't work that well. Mm. We need to have the right materials and ensuring that, um, that we deliver. So what I mean by this is the following. Um, if we, I put myself in the shoes of an entrepreneur or someone like myself that are that is trying that is essentially trying to build the next moon mining rovers, we know that the first prototype will not work. We know that. Right. So, so what 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 that means is that we'll build each one of the modules in there with generic configurations, with enough interfaces that 
if I can build the um, wheels and I can build the hopper and I can build the electrical system and I just focus on the system itself and I don't, for now, I'll forget the interfaces because they are standardized. I will evolve much faster on first the subsystems and then in the interfaces. That's why you see <laughs> uh, Starship having many names, many numbers, serial numbers. Mm -hmm. There are just they are just evolutions of each one of the subsystems and then again, then they get stacked together. Um, and that's a fundamental difference when you think about long-term prototypes or things that take a lot of time. So faster means, okay, I need five major prototypes for something that they will integrate with this within this, each if each one has mainly five subsystems, and over time, over time, this is important because over time the delivery gets faster because, okay, I iterate, I test one. And in my previous work, we, we tested a ton of stuff. Some of them didn't work, that, that's the reality. And immediately you've got in, something immediately before that it is just a little bit better. And that a little bit better might be the solution for your problem or it might not be. The, the hard part in there is <laughs> if I'm, I'm an, an investor and I'm not prone to risk. I was like, these guys failed again and again and again. Mm -hmm. So coming back to someone that said that the, the, the rate of innovation is really the only thing that we need to be concerned with, um, but we need to have the money for that. So that's, that's why putting this out there immediately, Tom, putting this to the investors out there, even if the investors are your family and friends right. and some of the NASA money that, that comes out of uh, the challenges, putting these out there and saying, this is our approach to risk. There is a good belief and data. Okay, really important. There is data that this approach over time makes you faster over time. You know, there's, there's an old adage in business where people will say, you know, it's, it's good, cheap, fast, pick any two. Um, how do you work around that kind of a concept? Is there is there a way to do things where you can get all three? And and by cheap, I mean uh, at least cost effective. Yes, the the until I would say, and I go back to a combination of things. Until the literature in the eighties, okay, around PMI, Project Management Institute, they would say that the triangle of project management was impossible to be broken. That is, mm -hmm. you, you cannot have something that is cheaper, faster, and within scope at the same time. If we look into companies like, okay, we have to reference it, Tesla and SpaceX, it, mm -hmm. it is possible. It is because you iterate extremely quickly on things that are not working. And we, we've seen clearly that in the beginning, the challenges are immense. But as you move forward, either you because, okay, you look at the requirement and it's dumb. Why, why should I have um, rectangular surfaces on rockets? doesn't make sense. It's extremely hard to, to ensure that the proposal mechanism is evenly distributed. Oh, that's why they turn into circle. Okay, cool. Um, correct? It's a first principle thing. And then you go back and you look at, okay, what are the components and materials that are in, in here? Oh, okay, probably too much components. Components means complexity. Can we reduce that? Okay, we've done that. Let's go back again. And what are the materials that exist in here? And someone would say, 
oh, it's impossible to get something like a carbide. Think about in my case, so it's impossible. Okay, is that really impossible? That's where you get the lean concept. That is, you go all the way back to the supplier and all the way back to the raw. Is that really impossible to make this less expensive? <clears throat> so when we start using that, I believe it's possible. Uh, um, in our case, in, in the company that I have been supporting for the NASA Break the Ice Challenges, we, yeah, we 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 found a company that does remote controlled <laughs> rovers at a smaller scale, mm-hmm. but it actually fit because a vehicle on the moon or on Mars will have X amount of wheels or something that moves, but that thing moves in this direction. It doesn't hop yet. Right. So that, that thing will not change, correct? It's physics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's possible. We just need to go really step by step and there is a methodology Then that's what we bring to the companies. You know, you mentioned uh, SpaceX and Elon has often said that he expects to blow rockets up. He, he, learns from that but he said we're going to launch it's going to fail we're going to learn from that and we'll make a few changes and we'll launch again and eventually it'll work is that a concept that that works well across other industries or is it just someone like elon musk who has fairly unlimited resources and can afford to do that okay so (laughs) I'll, i'll tell you a story it's called the frankenstein story Okay. When we when we opened up the Brazilian plant for for Jaguar Land Rover a couple of years ago, I was responsible. I was in that process team, defining the whole blueprint across the world. So how are we going to build things across the world in a standardized and faster way? And you just need to look at the requirements, sir. And we built something that we called Frankenstein at that time. That was a vehicle that had. Several parts that meet specifications, okay, to the mm-hmm. regulator. It's also important because as well as Elon Musk, everyone is subjected to some kind of regulator. Right. Um, the battery was from one type of vehicle. <laughs> the headlights were from another. <laughs> they, they all meet specifications, okay? And the, the result was by this date, you need to have something that is sellable, meaning, okay, everything in here will not kill anyone. And we did it. Okay, the battery was not exactly on the same location as expected. In fact, we had it outside of the vehicle. (laughs) (laughs) But it worked and it did all the the required tests. In this case, it didn't do the the water, the the water testing tests because they were not needed at that moment. Okay. But they met it met. We had the battery that was not from there. We had headlights and bumpers that was exactly like what was intended in the beginning and the Brazil, in this case, the Brazilian government had to see that. Um, so that works. You do need to, you do need to look at what is in here that, and it's needed. And then from there, and, and then work backwards from that. Uh, um, what you are asking is, is everyone ready for that? <laughs> <laughs> no, the answer is no. The, the answer is, is most likely no. Because there is this need either of one, and it comes from my experience in the in the well, also in the space companies, but also in the banking industry. It's kind of curious. Um, 
a second story. A space company always the ones that have that are that are on the SEC on the stock market. Man, the amount of eyes that people put on them, it's unbelievable. It, it's it's really you 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 need to be prepared for a level of reporting and a level of transparency that is extreme. Okay. Sometimes risk taking and investor looking into that, they don't follow the same path. Okay. Um, so what I mean by this is we took that risk and I, I've taken a couple of other interesting risks in terms of design and changing mm -hmm. things or using things. Um, it requires someone that supports you in the team. It requires also that the levels of supervision are reduced to the minimum and the levels of responsibility are increased to the maximum. That that's what it requires. You know, it sounds like you've had a very diverse background. How did tell us a little bit about that background and how you wound up consulting with space companies? Oh, okay, man, Tom, that's a good one. Yeah. So before COVID, I had this incredible opportunity to work. I worked at Honeywell as their one of their, I'm going to say, lead consultants in changing the company into into a digital process blueprint. And COVID hits, and my son asks me, hey, what do you want to do when you are a grown-up? <laughs> That's a pretty terrible question, isn't it? You cannot say, at least I couldn't say from my heart, like, I'm going to be a consultant in business process management doing whatever it takes just to earn money. That's not the life that you can bring anyone into. It, it's impossible. And I had this dream back in Portugal, I want to be an astronaut. Mm -hmm. So I, I talked with, with Simon Jessner at, from Axiom. I was like, how much do you want? 55 million. I was like, nah, man, that's too much money. <laughs> and, then I did, and then I did the space the space course in Florida with Greg and um, with Greg Autry and, and uh, Aldrin. Mm -hmm. And those 15 days changed a ton of my perspective on, on space. But back to your point, I said to my son, I want to be an astronaut and I want to inspire others that are willing to do the work to do the thing because that's the place where if we do the work, we will get, you know, confronted with our own beliefs or on my own difficulties in life in, in doing things. And we'll be able to, if I can get it, man, others will and many will. So I'll open up the way. So I kind of tagged along with this idea that, okay, how can I not pay 55 million? That, that was one of my things. Mm -hmm. And how, how can I do that? So I look at some statistics, statistic numbers like, okay, if I work for a Blue Origin or SpaceX, the probability of becoming an astronaut or Axiom or a couple of them, the probability of becoming an astronaut that is like, 700 people divided by X amount of billion. It's it's a terrible probability, correct? Right. If I work for one of these companies or I provide services end-to-end, -end, my probability increases like 100-fold. Fine, that's what I'll do. Since I've been working hard in many industries from <laughs> regulatory to water and waste management, stuff that no one likes, but they're really <laughs> important, like, <laughs> like <laughs> oh, okay. That's my rule. I'm going to help companies in the US 
build up their space framework. At the same time, I'll start designing, testing, building, and flying them and get back home. So that's that's kind of that that's what was what motivated like. No, I can take my skills and help others to reach space, and and therefore bringing more jobs into the economy, and also bringing other generation like spaces for the young. I get very annoyed with that thing. Man, no spaces for everyone and for all the ones that want to put up, put down the work. So that that's what I did. That that's why, you know. Um, as we moved to the US after me and my family being in Portugal, Norway, UK, Brazil, <laughs> and being the US our life dream, it's like, okay, it's, this is the spot. No longer, don't waste any more time. Um, I, yeah, I think that, that that's it, that, that's what, what happened. <laughs> I, I think that anyone who thinks space is for the young hasn't heard that William Shatner got to go to space at 90, but. <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, in fact, um, after I've taken that decision, I, when COVID hit, I, I contacted everyone that I knew in my, you know, mostly because of, of course, I knew I work in aerospace. Um, and I went into all the AIAA forums and I said, here is, a, here is someone that is ready to work. Mm -hmm. Let me know what you need. I sent 635 emails <laughs> two <laughs> persons got back to me uh two of these groups and one of them is in the AIAA space operations technical support group where i'm the vice chair of commercial space it's, it's a lot of words but essentially i help organize the meetings and help bringing the knowledge of people from nasa space centers into the uh, into commercial space companies and because of that, and because I've attended everything that was possible during that year, I assembled the first team to go for the NASA Break the Ice Challenge. I've reached out to Clive Neal, Clive Neal reached out to Paul Van Gisante, and then from Honey, from Honey Bear Robotics, Hunter, and we assembled the first team. And we were, and I was like, man, let's go and do this. I think this is an opportunity. They, I, assembled, I helped assemble that team. Paul has a fantastic team in MTU. And we, we delivered the first the first design end to end, and we got that 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 first award. And then after that, I started working more in space. I worked at Astra, and then after Astra, I I I, I moved to support Planetoid Minds, doing exactly the same. And that's where we got the first prize uh, and award to to build the Moon Rover. So it's been like a <laughs> and the probability of that I I made the, the probability of me ever. Even getting a project in space was 0.47%. I said, that, that's fine. That, mm -hmm. that, that's something that I can believe with. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, planetoid mining and the Break the Ice Challenge a little bit because we were initially introduced to your work by uh, with planetoid mining and, and the Break the Ice Challenge. And so let's talk about, first of all, what is that Break the Ice Challenge? Okay, so NASA has got this fun way <laughs> to... How I think someone at NASA said, like, how are we going to source concepts and innovation in the least, in the maximum effective way with the least amount of money? <laughs> Let's put down a challenge. And uh, this is part of one of them. This is how NASA sources innovation ideas, in this mm -hmm. case, for Break the Ice Challenge. The, the point of the Break the Ice Challenge is this sooner or later, 
we need will be on the moon. But being on the moon, and remember that Artemis talks about sustainable presence on the moon. <laughs> sustainable presence needs to exist. For that, we need fuel and water. Makes sense, correct? Life equals water, fuel equals transportation. The what the uh, the moon has in particular regions, mostly near the PSRs, permanently shadowed regions, locations where there are ice crystals, water mm -hmm. ice crystals. Okay, it's really cold out there. Okay, really cold. So NASA put up this challenge. The first phase of the challenge was show me an architecture that is able to extract and transport, extract regolith and transport water ice crystals. We got that one done. Really interesting. The second phase is, okay, since you guys have done the first one, now build a thing, a thing, a system that is able to excavate that regolith, okay? Uh, and bring it from point A to point B within a certain reliability. Something never done, 15 days on earth, no touching. And something that NASA was very fun on this. They thought they'd call it durability. That is, you cannot touch the thing. It needs to be running <laughs> without mm -hmm. in 15 days without touching. And that, that's a very interesting challenge because if you think about the Apollo astronauts, they were there. Worst case, worst case, equipment-wise, two days. Okay, that that's it. Or better case, and now he's now asking us for to be there for um, <laughs> for fifteen days, no touch. Right. That's a very interesting challenge, Tom. Uh, and that's a challenge that we are that we are that we are tackling step by step. So how is planetoid mining addressing those issues? What what are the technologies that you're working on developing? The um, the excavation is done via via um, bucket drums with counter rotating forces. That's a, a, a that's a I would say different from the ones that you've seen in the swamp works, um, um, but they follow the same principle. We need to excavate something from the ground, use because we have low gravity in there or zero gravity. We need to find a way that we are able to pull up things. And then in this case, we have a conveyor belt uh, that brings um, brings the existing regolith into a, and this is a cool part, in, into, a, into a closed container that will maintain the properties of a regolith as we then move, move it along uh, the, the right traverse. Um, and then deliver these into what will be the NASA waterized transformation plant, something that is still on the books, okay? The process is known, it's not on Earth, but the way that we are addressing is we, we have uh, Planet on Minds in this case as a, um, a technology that is pending patent and, and it was filed to, to excavate the regolith and transport it. And so that's, that's coming up nicely. Right now, we also found, <laughs> again, a very non-expensive way to test this. How? Kevin has, a, well, with the support from um, Rio Tinto, sorry, not from Rio Tinto company, but in, in uh, Rio Tinto region, he has the support of the, 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 the local authorities. And we found a place that is similar to the moon, you know, <laughs> the Gran Lamer, the, the, the the grain, sorry, the soil is 
man, we, we did the simulator that we did the moon, the, the moon was like, wow, this is, a, <laughs> it's very similar to what we'll find on the moon. Even the temperature difference is not, but it's overall the traverse, the soil, the location itself, it's a bit of the moon. So <laughs> our team is not spending any money on buying simulant or we're going to a place on earth in the US where people are entering to say, okay, test it in here. And that that's that's pretty cool. You see what I mean? So <laughs> uh, it's very low tech what we are doing because we understood the geological needs for this for this part of the challenge. I'm talking with Gonzalo Estevez, founder and CTO of Argo Space Technologies on the Xterra podcast. Take a moment right now to click subscribe to be sure you don't miss any of our podcasts or if you're watching on YouTube, any of the videos from Xterra, the Journal of Space Commerce. Gonzalo, you've worked on business processes for the International Space Station as well. What's the, What have you been doing with that? Oh, sir, <laughs> that was a fun project. That was uh, after the... the so the International Space Station did something very similar in the same spirit, okay? How are we going to pick up something that costs a lot of money every year to the to, to us, to, to the ones that pay taxes, however, to everyone? Mm -hmm. uh, how are we going to how are we going to change that? Can we make it a profitable thing? That was the question. Can we make it what are we going to make it after 2026? So I was part of the World Design Organization team that looked into the ISS as an end-to-end. -end. And I stayed with the business process side. And that, that was my opportunity to map out end-to-end -end how, how a company can put an experiment in the ISS, end-to-end. Okay? -end. And that was like a big eye-opener because I could see all the forms that are needed, all the due diligence, all the experiments, both on Earth, and also in space, what do the astronauts do? And then how do you return those things back to Earth? And then how you, how do you know that whatever I did in there has some benefit for humanity? So I work on the whole end-to-end -end, um, prior, post the, the World Design Organization Challenge. And we, well, it was clear for me, it was a, right now it's a three years, mostly, most of the cases, a three years process. So think about this, Tom. If you have a problem and you say, okay, I believe that this crystal can be produced in space because there is no gravity. We might find other geometries in, to help something. Let's say um, a new eye product. You need to wait three years to put something up there. Right. It, it's incredibly long. Me and the set of people from the ISS that was pretty cool we we you know we went step by step and and with some improvements with the existing technology and hardware we could move it to six months that's also meant that we could increase and we could even triple the capability of projects that were being intake that would be the intake some data exists right now saying that the ISS <laughs> the ISS got to their maximum capability I was like do you mean by that? We have room for more people. If we fly more and come back more. So I think there is a need for more invention in there because the data that I've got really tells we can move that process to six months, that is end to end. And we can make that not the cost center, but the profit center <laughs> overall. Uh, that, that was pretty cool. Like that was my one of my first like move from the world of business process corporate to 
space. You know, like that, that was yeah. um, those recommendations were were proposed uh, to the ISF, and uh, I believe they were in a report that was later on addressed in some of the congressional sessions. Um, that's where it stayed. Um, essentially, great experience to to know how the ISS works inside out. You were also with the AIAA working on the Commercial Space Operations Subcommittee. And for those that don't know, what is the AIAA and what does your subcommittee do? Oh, so the AIAA is like a group of, an extensive group of people. It's the most welcoming group. The American astronauts, the American, I think we need to uh, to, to make sure that, let's, let me confirm to, to make sure that, that I give you the right, the right nomenclature. American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics, okay? And there, this institute has many, many professionals from space, people that dedicate, that give their time to help others build their space careers and the space knowledge. It's very much like the INCOSI, International Council of Systems Engineering, where people from a whole set of professions and sectors say, what are the best practices to do this? In this case, that's where I learned about um, passivation methods, conjunction analysis, uh, methods for mission management. And essentially every year, this group publishes a journal, the Journal of Space Operations, that picks up what we believe and we try from the members what is best in academia and brings us to the commercial space arena and in reverse as well. So what my role has been, I need more people from commercial space to ask academia, what do you need so that this, this cooperation occurs? And Tom, I've seen fabulous work that we as taxpayers pay to, to, to many of academia works and, and centers in within NASA that when I worked as a consultant for space companies, like you guys need a software that does space mission design. It is something that you can be helped with because we as a community, as an overall country invested on that. So use it, please. You know, it's, it might not be perfect, but um, it, it, it definitely gets you a head start. So that, that was, Tom, that's been one of my main challenges, that there is a ton of knowledge in this AIAASOSTC, Space Operations Technical Support Group, and the other many groups. And the world is, the world is how do we percolate that knowledge into new space companies and even into existing space companies, and then the reverse. So think of these groups as... Hmm, accelerators, or at least they need to be accelerators of the space economy. And also places where you are welcome to go there and help and get trained, because when you do things, you get trained and get contact with, with space. Um, it, it, it's, it has the natural challenges. The work is not paid. Well, depending on you think about payment, but you work for the community. I think that's really important to 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 say. And in the US, we are very we are all very much profit driven, but but there has to be something major. Like we are here to help others in their space mission. That, that, that's what I do there. Before. Process engineering, it occurs to me, is becoming more and more critical as, as systems become more complex. And, and you mentioned about the education aspect of it. Are you seeing that young engineers 
are coming out of school with the right kinds of skills to address these complex challenges? I've seen two. I've seen two completely different realities. Okay, one of them is engineers that I've met as working in some of these space companies that left. I'll give you examples. Um, <laughs> New Jersey moving to California and starting working on valves, and they, man, these guys and girls have these people have hands-on experience. They start doing it. They start, and then I've seen in the academia world because over the years I've kept I keep on going to 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 learn uh, that's you now and my last following the space tech and uh, Loyola Montoya University both in and I've I've seen in there a combination of and it has to do with the student okay and probably with the teacher okay but do I want to do this or I'm just here for the grade <laughs> it's it's so evident, sir. It's Tom. It's so evident. Like, oh, this person is here really because he wants to build that part of hardware, or he wants to work on the software. Well, okay, I got this one because it's in my curriculum, and I just need to do it. So I think right now it's a combination. Um, it is clear for me, and I made an analysis during the last years that the U.S. needs people from the trades space, CNC mechanists. Um, welders, um, better chemists, people that are able to move and execute, and they also have technical knowledge. It, it's very clear that 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 part is missing. We had tons of across the board uh, when I started consulting. Most of the people would say to me, "Gonzalo, what I need is a replicable process so that I can infuse the knowledge that we have in new people that are coming." And I had this a ton of times as people, for example, increase the 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 size of their facility, or they just add another capability. If they move from, okay, right now I'm going to have I'm going to have a, a new machine that that will work with three axes or four. It's like we we have someone that knows that, but he's about to go to another company. We haven't captured that. What are we going to do? Um, yeah, that that's happening. The other thing that I've been really watching is there is a lot of requests for people that are knowledgeable of, of human space flight but to be fair they don't exist that's you might write in your resume i did human space flight but if you want to be if you want to be real the last human space flight was the shuttle were the shuttle missions and then spacex right i'm going to put spacex to the side because whatever is happening there, it will be independent of all, all of what the others are doing. And to be, well, in a, I think in a couple of hours, you'll have the, the static fire test, the hot fire test for the 33 engines on Starship. So that, that company is going in a speed. And the concept that I want to give, since we are kind of blurring around, there are, in space, there are speeds. Speed, levels of speed. SpaceX is in another ballgame, um, in a game where they have their own space program. <laughs> this is really important. Yeah. Whilst, and this is so controversial, man, then I'm going to say the other tier of speed as an overall space program aligned with NASA. Then there are others that are trying to find their own space program. 
And you might ask me, where are you, Gonzalo, in these three? Uh, well, I'm, I'm building my own space program. I, I don't believe we should wait. I'm, we, we, we cannot wait. It, it, the time will run away. So these three levels of and these three speeds, and can put names to this, um, and you can even characterize that. There is a nice exercise that is you dump the website of each company into a word cloud for their job specs and you organize the levels of recruiting. And I did that between SpaceX, uh, Blue Origin, Rocket Lab. And I understood how many layers exist in the organization, sir. And that, that was an awesome thing like, oh, okay, if I, get, if I work in there, I, need, I will understand that it has three layers. In here, it has six. In here, it has four. And I was like, okay, we know that the structure of hiring equals the structure of the organization, therefore the structure of the product, because therefore the structure of the system, correct? This is how things are lined up because people hire based on the thing that they have around you. They don't invent something. And then you see which one is going faster and which one is the structure that allows you to go faster. Or where do you want to be? So that was a very interesting analysis that I did like, okay, these guys will take seven years to get there, seven to 10. This will take probably three. So, yeah, again, that comes from the consulting <laughs> work <laughs> where you need to quickly understand. But for, for us, Tom, for, for, for the US space economy and for what we need to do, we, we, we need to move faster, sir. We, we, we need to be able to build our own space program. And I believe we have the, we have the means. And so I know we're just about out of time, but I want to ask you kind of our standard exit question, and that's to look out, if you will, over the next 10 to 15 years, thinking about space commerce. Tell me what you see. I see uh, a clear proliferation. I, I see a clear highway in the cislunar economy emerging, very clear. It's not yet completely clear to me who will the, be the major player, at least in this lunar economy. Um, I see a huge event happening regarding space sustainability and using the space sustainability index. But I also see that um, if you look into the propulsion mechanisms, we we are, I would say, Five years next, if this even happens, we need something that gets us to Mars and Europa and faster. Uh, so I see that coming up. I see big investment in in proportional systems and the highway happening in the cislunar economy. Uh, and and of course I see our rover there. That 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 should be cool. Um, and, and I of course I see also that the uh, the companies that are at tier two need to catch up because if not they will run out of funds that's the reality no one will buy a car that is 15 times more expensive than one that is already working yep very good gonzalo gonzalo thank you very much okay tom thank you very much thank you for the opportunity this um um it's amazing that you guys share these experiences there are Extremely, there are amazing people out there doing space, and uh, I'm grateful for for being 
and helping others. Gonzalo Estevez is founder and CTO of Argo Space Technologies. And thank you again for being our guest on the Xterra podcast. That's going to do it for this edition of the Xterra podcast. Check out our YouTube channel and be sure to click on subscribe so you can stay up to date on developments in space commerce and be notified when we post new videos. You can also get daily space commerce news at xterrajsc.com. And one thing more, be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at xterrajsc. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>